0: of Home Visit with Tyler Siski and the Associates. Uh, today we're going we're going to peel back the curtain a little bit and talk about some things um, that I don't think have been talked about a lot in the media. Uh, doing with football, doing a little bit with the coaching. Kind of tell you some stories about things that have happened in the past uh, that are relevant uh, to today's current events. Um, and then we'll get you out of here and enjoy your nice, wonderful week. I want to start with. Um, I got reminded about this this weekend about uh, responding to adversity. Um, I think it's one of the biggest traits that any person, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a parent, whether you're a husband, a wife, it doesn't matter, responding to adversity I think is one of the biggest traits and um, how well you do uh, respond to adversity. I think it's one of the biggest correlations to, to success in whatever you're trying to do. The one thing I think people get caught up with is, especially in recruiting, it's one of the, it's one thing that we really look hard on is it doesn't matter how much talent that you have in anything you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're you know, good at business, you're good at football, you're good at basketball. It doesn't matter how much talent that you have. There's going to be many, many times in life that you get knocked on your ass. It doesn't matter how good you are. You're going to get knocked down and you've heard this saying a thousand times, how many times do you get, do you get back up? How many times do you get back up? How many times do you get off the mat? And, and that's what it's about because, you know, I don't think people are ever going to remember you for how successful you are as much as they're going to remember you for how well you responded to adversity. You know, and I think that's why as people we respond and we love the underdogs. We love the comeback stories um, because that's that's what people remember is how how well you've come back. And let's talk about a little bit about responding to adversity and and um, as coaches, you spend, you know, you got to remember, you know, even as a you know, high school coach, it's anywhere kids from 14 to 18, you know, when you get to college, they're 18 to 22, but it's, they're just turning into adults. Um, and you have to coach this a lot to try to get people to understand how to do it. And I always say step number one is you have to block out, especially in today's world, you have to block out the outside noise. Um, you're always going to have haters. It doesn't matter what you do. OK, you're you're going to have haters and in spe- especially in today's world with social media uh, message boards. There, critics have a ton of more avenues uh, to criticize people than they have in the past. You know, if you're listening to this, you know, I'm 44. So if you're you know, really, if you're in your late 30s, early 40s, you you didn't have to deal with social media growing up. And now these kids do. And, you know, you got these what I call keyboard warriors, you know, guys, guys that hide behind a, a screen name or, or a Twitter handle and they troll you and they, you know, talk bad about you. And, and if that's where you're getting your validation from, that's a problem. And so the first thing you have to do to respond to adversity is block out the noise. That's the first thing you have to do. You have to and this is something that, you know, almost every coach will tell you is control what you can control. Um, And one thing you cannot control is what other people say or think about you. That's something you can't control, so you don't need to worry about that. And in my experience, the people who care, and and I'm not going to rattle off names, but some of you probably know some of the people I'm talking about, the people who care too much about what other people think of them, they don't respond well to adversity, period, because they get beat up and it bothers them so much that it affects them. And in coaching you always say you can't let one mistake, you know, kill you four or five times down the road. You you have to learn from what you did and respond. You can't let the same thing beat you four times. That's something we say in coaching all the time. But if you if you if you need someone else to tell you that you did a good job for you to feel good about and and to know that you did a good job, that's a problem. You have to be internally motivated, and that's step 2. If you want to get off the mat, you have to be internally motivated. Somebody can't talk you into doing something. And I've said this over and over and over again. If a person doesn't want to do something, they're not going to do it well. You have to be internally motivated to be successful. And I'm convinced on that. There's no one else that can talk me out of that. Nobody else can motivate you to be successful. You know, you go into a locker room and you give a great speech. That's going to last for one play until you get hit in the mouth. You have to be internally motivated to be successful, period. And if you need someone else to do that, it doesn't last very long. It's very superficial, and it's something that it doesn't matter if it's life, if it's business, whatever. You have to be internally motivated to be successful. But responding to adversity, getting off the mat, it's going to happen. And I think a, a one big thing, and, you know, I'm reminded because I'm coaching my kids' 14-year-old baseball team, is as years have gone on, and I, when I started coaching, there was no social media. And then about halfway through my career, here comes social media, and it, it dominates the end. And as kids are getting older, they're getting so much validation from social media. And now even adults are getting validation. I hear it all the time. You know, we're going to post our new thing on this. We're going to look at me, look at me. Oh, great. Yay. If you, if you need social media to get your validation, again, that's a problem. But, but the bigger issue is is that the youth of America, that's what they're seeing. And so all of their validation, that's why you're, you're seeing a lot of things, you know, cyberbullying. You're seeing all these problems with these younger generations as they're growing up, and they're so dependent on what people think about them on social media. And look in the football recruiting world. You see it all the time. These kids are posting, blessed to receive my first offer. That's great. But at the end of the day, they're kind of looking for validation. And that's just the, the generation and the way they are. And when it comes from coaching, in coaching, you have to adjust and you have to adapt and understand. You're not beating that animal. You have to understand what the animal is and adjust and adapt and learn how to motivate those kids that are doing that. So be careful about that and understand what the enemy is. You have to make sure um, that you know what you're up against. Before we move on to our weekly soap opera of NIL, I want to remind everybody: if you're looking for a car or a vehicle. In today's world, it's hard to, they're hard to find. Make sure you call our friends at Cooper, Chevrolet, Buick, and Aniston. Um, the number is 256-236-4481. You can also go to cooperorder.com, and they will get you set up with a vehicle that you're looking for, and they will get it to you. The best deal that you can find out there, Cooper, Chevrolet, Buick, and Aniston, 256-236-4481 all right this week's version of n i o we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take it back a little bit and we're gonna talk about the original n i l and what I mean by that is it's i i got i got myself uh we were moving this weekend and so my dad and my mom and dad came up and they were helping with the kids and we were sitting there talking and uh we were actually uh in the car and i got myself tickled laughing about this and I don't think i, I know I've never told this on here before but I remember sitting in a staff room when this thing called cost of attendance comes out. And this was, I don't know, eight, ten years ago. And I remember it, the NCAA allowing schools to provide one-time, you know, provide payments to the to the students, to the athletes, based off cost of attendance. And they had this formula that they calculated and it got really crazy. I don't want to get into all that. But at the end of the day, Basically, every school in the league was between $3,800 and $5,300 that you could pay the players uh, per semester uh, in what they call cost of attendance. And they took in, you know, travel and computers and all that. They took in all kinds of stuff to make this, to come up with your school's number. So every school, when it first came out, every school had a different number. Um, so I remember, and this is where I got myself just tickled laughing so hard this weekend was I remember sitting in a staff room in an SEC staff room with a pretty good football coach that's you know he may or may not go down as the greatest coach of all time and going nuts going absolutely nuts in the staff room uh, because one of the rival schools that we were recruiting a kid against uh, was their in their uh, cost of attendance was $400 more than ours. And that we were about to lose this kid over $400 a semester. And that's where it was. So about 8 to 10 years ago, you had all of these coaches all over the country were so irritated because the cost of attendance was not equal. But I am not. we're not talking about – now we're talking about NIL not being equal and people paying $10 million, and it's millions and millions and millions of dollars difference – this was all over 400 bucks. So the whole world got upset over 400 bucks about 8 years ago. Flash forward 10 years and we're sitting here complaining about you got, you know, well I can't afford this quarterback anymore. He's 8 million dollars or he's 10 million dollars or he's 4 million dollars, but I can't afford him. I can only give this kid $50,000. I mean there there are schools out there complaining right now because they can only afford to give the each kid $50,000. And I just think that's so funny that <laughs> That 10 years ago, we're complaining because of $400 difference. Now we're complaining because of millions of dollars difference. And so that's how fast things have changed. And, you know, I want to I re- repeat this. And, and this is something that I actually heard yesterday. Um, and it made me, it also, it, it was a really good point. And I think with all these SEC meetings and, you know, you have the NCAA meetings out in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago. And you have, you know, we're going to meet with Congress. We just keep kicking the can down the road. That's all we're doing is we're going, all right, let's 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 get through this season. We'll address it next year. You know, Congress is like, hey, look, I don't want to touch this until the election. Let's kick this down the road to next year. That's what's happening, just so people know that Congress is not going to do anything until after the elections. It depends on who's in office, if anything is done from a federal standpoint. But we keep kicking the can down the road. And I was told this by a... Older, wiser man yesterday. I'll leave it at that. An older, older, wiser man said, if we keep kicking the can down the road, we're going to look up and there's going to be a bunch of cans in that pile. And that's what we're doing. And I've never heard anything said so that made so much sense to me that we keep kicking this NIL can down the road, but we're about to look up, which we already are. And there's there's not just one can in the pile. There's there is a pile of cans. So just something to keep in mind, and that's what we're doing, and that's probably the wisest thing I've ever heard an old person tell me in a, in a long time. Uh, but just to look, give you a little inside look at what happened uh, less than 10 years ago, how we were sitting in an office um, complaining about <laughs> one school that was going to be able to give $400 more a semester, and now we're complaining over millions of dollars. So I thought that was kind of a kind of funny one to get you started off with the day. All right, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, – what I like to call the calf and the cow strategy. So if you're a college football coach out there listening, which we know we got, got a bunch of you listening, um, we all know what the calf and the cow strategy is. So I'm going to explain this to the fans and tell you a little bit about uh, some experiences that I've had. I was reminded of, of that this weekend as well. Um, but basically the calf versus the cow is where you go in recruiting and you will go sign um, somebody that's close to the player, in order to get—that's a good player. They're not bad players, but they're not probably your level of player. And you'll take those guys in order to help yourself get the prize to go get the good one. So let's let's go back in my recent career and tell you about some calf and cow stories. So uh, we'll go back to uh, Denzel and Robert Condici here at Ole Miss. So Houston Nutt actually signed Denzel Condici here uh, to Ole Miss knowing that Robert Camdicci, the brother, was the number one player in the country coming out uh, the next year. or Actually, it was two years, two classes later. Um, so I have to thank Houston Nutt for that, first of all. Don't know Houston Nutt very well, but he did a good job there. And, you know, Robert had committed uh, – I know a lot of the Ole Miss fans that are on here know this and probably some Clemson fans, and, and definitely my, brother, my brother-in-laws who are Clemson fans know this, but Robert Camdicci was committed to Clemson uh, pretty early, um, in the process. And, you know, he was committed for a while. Well, you know, his mother was a, um, a woman. um, in, uh, I think it was, I can't remember now, I'm getting old. Uh, definitely was in Africa. I think it was in, um, Nigeria or somewhere over there. She was a, uh, I'm going to butcher that. Let's just say she was a Congresswoman and she came, Miss Beverly came over and she only got to come visit, you know, two to three times a year. And, at, when I knew we were getting Robert, the day I knew, we had a big visit in July, and it was his mother, was, it was one of her trips uh, to uh, the, the States. And so we had the whole family here. And we were sitting in uh, Hugh Freeze's office, which was upstairs in the Manning Center at that time. It was on the second floor. And I remember sitting on the couch, and you know Hugh's going through his whole spiel. I mean, he's full tilt, he's going, and she's sitting there and she's just listening, not saying anything. And, you know, other people are talking. Denzel was in there as well, the whole family. Everybody was talking, but Miss Beverly wasn't saying anything. And then at the end of the the, uh, conversation, she finally spoke. And she looked uh, dead at Robert and said, Robert, I know you probably like Clemson. Um, I understand that. She goes, but I'm coming. um, When I come over here, I'm only going to one place to see you guys. Uh, So Denzel's already here. So you're going to come to Ole Miss. Do you understand? And he was like, yes, ma'am. And that was it. And so there was this big drama from then on the whole way down to signing day and all that stuff. But it was over in July. It was over in that meeting when Miss Beverly told Robert, Do you understand? And she ran the show. You know, Mr. Sonny, good guy, but I can promise you this Miss Beverly ran the show and it was over at that moment. And so thank you, Houston Nutt. And then people talk about all who recruited Robert and all that stuff. Houston Nutt probably deserves the credit on that one. Um, to the truth be told, uh, if it wasn't for Denzel being at Ole Miss, Robert Camdiche would have never even considered Ole Miss. And that's how f- you know, strong the family bond was uh, with that family. The second one, ironically, was in that class. Uh, and uh, especially with, uh, with Ole Miss fans, you may not know this. Some of you may know this. But when we got here, we had, the, we had basically half a class to sign a 2012 class. We were in transition from Arkansas State. After signing day, about a month after signing day, we, we've moved on to the 2013 class. And there was this player in there named Laquan Treadwell, who to us was uh, the best wide receiver in the country. Well, he had a best friend named Anthony Standifer, who was a good player. And he'd had offers um, you know, from some mid-majors. Uh, and so we decided to take a chance – and get Anthony down here to get us in the door uh, with, La- with Laquan. And so it got us in the door. All right. We he was able to come visit and do those things with since Anthony was here. Uh, we signed Anthony late, got him down here, got us in the door, got us, got those relationships started uh, with Anthony and with Laquan, and he ends up coming here. So that was a that was a, another success, uh, calf versus cow. And then the last one that I really uh, had any involvement with was uh, the Nick Dean and the Kobe Dean. Um, Nick Dean was a walk-on here at Ole Miss. Uh, The Kobe Dean, who everybody knows, first-round draft pick this year. I believe he may have been a second-round pick. I don't remember. But he's going to be a very good NFL player. Great, obviously, college career. Uh, From here in Mississippi at Horn Lake High School, well, Nick was on the team as a walk-on, and we were going to put him on scholarship uh, to – Uh, getting Kobe to come here, and we shot our shot. We did everything that we could do, and it failed uh, for various reasons. I guess we'll leave it at that. That strategy, that was very unsuccessful in that one. Uh, You can draw your own conclusions. And then the last one, I'll tell you all that to tell you this, and this is what reminded me of everything this weekend, is I see this weekend living here in Oxford that Roman Rashada, the junior college defensive back, from Diablo Valley Junior College in in California, commits to Ole Miss. Well, what's significant about that is his brother, Jaden Rashada, is one of the top quarterbacks in the 23 class coming out this year. I am so interested, and this is why we're talking about all this. The calf versus the cow used to work. It always works until money is involved. The calf and the cow strategy almost always works until money is involved. Well, now you got legal money involved. And with Jaden Rashada being one of the top quarterbacks in the country, he's going to have a nice price tag. Um, I've heard numbers, but I don't know how accurate they are. They're all over the place. Um, so there's a huge range that I've heard. I've heard some that are reasonable and some that aren't reasonable. But look, here's the truth Jaden Rashada is a, is a real deal quarterback from there in California, in Pittsburgh High School in California. Kid can play, he is extremely talented. And he is in what I call – you You have these certain quarterbacks that once they re- kind of reach that talent level, if you told me, you know, four years from now that he was the best quarterback in the class, I'd believe you. Of all these dudes, uh, out of the Nico, out of the Arch Manning, if he, to me he's in that level. If you told me he was the best one, I'd believe you. If you told me that he wasn't, I'd believe you too. But he's definitely in that class that can be that good. And I'm so interested to see how the calf versus the cow strategy works uh, when money is involved. Uh, I do think it gets you a, it buys you a cheaper price, and maybe they're playing, you know, chess, not checkers across the street, and, and getting a little bit of discount, maybe getting a little little savings on the nil. I don't know. I will be extremely interested to see how this works out uh, because he is going to be able to garner um, money. Uh, to play the position, if it was open market, I don't think Ole Miss could come up with the money. If it was in the open market, but they got they bought themselves a little a little coupon, so they bought a coupon with Roman Rashada. So I'm interested to see can they can they get Jaden Rashada uh, with their with their promo code. That's what they got. They got a promo code for a quarterback. So let's see if the promo code works. Uh, but that's probably going to be the most interesting thing because if it if it does work. If this does work, you're going to see you're going to see other programs starting to buy uh, promo code coupons uh, moving forward. So um, from a recruiting strategy standpoint, that's something that, that really uh, interests me on that. So excited to see how that works out. Uh, moving on. So uh, I know this is a a uh, football podcast, but I do. I am a baseball guy and I hope ESPN um, is able to do something with this. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, we were moving this past weekend uh, when I was dead tired, like 8.30, 9 o'clock on Friday night. I just wouldn't even have Wi-Fi yet, so I got on my phone, and I see on ESPN Plus, I was going to watch some games, and I see this channel called Squeeze Play. I'm like, what is this? So I click on it, and without question, and especially with today's younger um, – market of watching sports. Baseball is a hard sport to watch for the younger generation because it moves so slow. And so what they did is for you football guys out there that don't have any idea what I'm talking about, they have basically turned squeeze play as NFL red zone for baseball. So it's more action packed. You got games popping in, popping off and it's always the action is always going on. And so I would I so hope that ESPN gets a great response from this. This would be one of the most unbelievable things for college football for ESPN to do this with college football in the fall. With all these 11 o'clock games going on, you have all these time slots going on, and they already have coverage of hundreds of games. I mean, I don't even know how many games they cover, but almost every single game is on ESPN. Yeah, you got CBS that does their game, you know, and then maybe two once a year, and you got Fox that does theirs, but everybody else is on ABC and ESPN, which is the same company. So they have a majority of the games are already on your network to be able to do kind of an NFL red zone channel for college football with all the time slots you got going on would be unbelievable uh, for the consumer. Um, It's something I think they could sell and make a lot of money on. I would be the first one in line to purchase it. I wouldn't care what the cost would be. I think it's something that would really be a big hit. Uh, But, even if you think baseball is slow, I mean, that was, I think, Major League Baseball. I think that what they did with squeeze play was probably this is the best thing I've seen for the younger generation in a long time when it comes to uh, television and consumption of the product. Uh, and they're always looking for new ways, and that's the way this is going in streaming. We all know that. Um, just, But my, my hat's off to ESPN for that, and hopefully you all see this. And maybe need to call my guy Michael Thompson. and just got the job at SEC Network and ESPN all that. and need to see if they can – hook this thing up for uh, college football because it was really uh, entertaining. I don't know if it's stopped or if they're going to keep doing it this weekend, but um, one of the best channels and way to watch a baseball game I've ever seen. So uh, kudos to ESPN for that. All right, I want to talk something uh, real briefly. I want to peel back the curtain on this. I, I don't know if anybody's ever really talked about this at all um, from a media standpoint, maybe because they don't understand it, is, well, I want to talk about coaches moving. Um, I had to I moved again this this weekend., uh, this was the twelfth time that my family has moved. Um, and I want to talk a little bit and let the fans kind of in on what happens and, and the stress involved with it with your family. um because I think sometimes, and rightfully so, I get it. you know, fans are a little bit more critical of coaches um because it's a game to them, and we've said on this before, this is not a game to us. it's life. And so let's talk a little bit about the stress on the families. Um, the hardest part for me is my, it's always your kids. Um, and when they're having to move and leave their their friends. Uh, I remember very distinctly, you know, my children being young and it was just, you know, we were move, 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 go, go, go. No, no, really no big side effects. Um, and then they, they kind of came to age four or five, six, you know, we were at in Jonesboro at Arkansas State. We won there. And so basically our entire staff, we had a bunch of young kids that were the same age. We basically all picked up and moved to Oxford, to Ole Miss. And so they had all their built-in friends. Everything was normal. Sure, they missed a friend or two here from school, but most of their friends, they all hung out, were inside the building. And then when we moved to Alabama, that was the first one that kind of hit me in my house. As I remember uh, Jackson, who's now my oldest, he's 15, I remember him saying he could not understand why, and it was it was it was basically it was Tom Allen who has been a, a guest on our show. Uh, he was really good. Thomas Allen, the son who's now coaching, uh, but Thomas Allen, Jackson just loved him. I mean, they were it, Jackson. Uh, Thomas was like a big brother to Jackson, and they were just. I mean, anytime we were in the building, you know, Jackson was just following in little Thomas's steps. And Hugh was really good about having families around at practice and and all that. I mean, just unbelievable because we all had young kids. And Jackson was really upset because he couldn't understand why we all were not going to to Alabama, why it was just us. And that one's the one that kind of hit the hardest right there. And then every move since because, you know, once we got to Alabama – it was an older staff, so there were, were not many kids that were the same ages. We were one of the youngest, if not the youngest, on the staff, and then, you know, didn't have that many people to hang out with. So now their friends were in schools, right? So they they're in school. And then when we left and I wanted to go back to coaching and I went back to South Alabama, you know, they, they had to pick up and, and lose their friends. Then we're down in Mobile for three or four years, and we and, and, you know, they developed friends, and now they're getting older, and then we had to pick up and move back to Oxford. And it was just, it was very, um, it's very difficult on the kids um, to move. They're kind of hardened, um, and I, I've noticed, you know, over the years with kids, you kind of get two different ways here. You get, um, you get social butterflies that that cope with it by just socializing with everybody, and they just make friends with everybody. And we have different ones. In my, we have both in my house, and then you have others that just kind of close down and kind of keep to themselves uh, because they don't want to open up and 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 do that. So I I think with coaches moving a lot of times, I think our our kids probably take the biggest sacrifice. And as I'm getting older and my kids are getting older, I'm understanding that. Um, It's something that I wish I would have understood earlier. Probably would have affected uh, a lot more decisions that I made in my career Um, where I was, you know, in my mind at the time, I was like, oh, they're young, they'll get over it, you know, we're doing this. But you see how that affects them down the road. you know, with their personalities, and it does. Um, some of them are, are, you know, again, you're, you're, you basically have the two kinds of coaches' kids the ones that are very social and go out, outgoing and, and talk to everybody, and then the ones that are very quiet and to themselves and keep a very close knit family. There's no, not really anybody in between. So, definitely in my household, that's how it goes. Uh, the second thing um, that I had to deal with, and if you're a coach, we, like I said, I know we have a lot of coaches listening. Um, there, there's basically two plans. most coaches, football coaches, you change jobs around Christmas, you know, you know early early part of the year, late part of the year, early part of the year, that December, January, February part, um, and you move and take a new job. and so there there's there's two kinds of plans here. There's plan one, which is, hey well we're gonna let the kids finish the school year and then we're gonna move to wherever the new location is. or plan B, which is we're always picking up, we're moving right now. And I've done both. And for me, the hardest thing I've ever done was when we left Jonesboro the first time to come to Ole Miss, we decided to let the kids finish the school year, and then we were going to move at the end of the school year. And I am not doing that ever again. That was the hardest thing ever. Uh, so for, you know, basically for six or seven months, I'm I'm driving – You know, on the weekends, if we had a weekend, if we didn't have recruits in, but we're having to drive, you know, getting to see my family on the weekends and then on the weekends, usually I'm working. So really only getting to see them a few hours a week if I could. And sometimes we go two weeks without that. And especially if you're a coach listening, especially with the way the portal and uh, recruiting is now, you're losing almost every weekend forever. I'm on team move right now. If you gotta go, you gotta go. We're all we're all we're all in this together, and we're rolling um, because it it was. Uh, I don't know how hard it was on the kids, but that was probably the hardest time on me during any move was being without my family uh, for that long. So. Um, But I, I want the fans to understand there's a lot of, I mean, emotional sacrifice that has to go on, especially when you're at the, you know, you're a group of five level moving up, which we all have been there before. You know, if you lose, you're getting fired and you're going to another job. If you win, you're getting promoted and you're going to a new job. And the only way to stay put is to go about, you know, 500, go six and six, but if you do that too many times, you're going to get fired. So you're always on the move, especially at lower levels, moving up or moving down or or vice versa, especially in today's market. It just puts a a lot of uh, stress on families emotionally uh, with those two things. Um, And the last thing I want to talk about with coaches uh, moving that I bet the fans probably have never thought about is a lot of coaches um, get upside down financially uh, moving. I made this decision ten years ago, uh, not to do it. Um, and so because I, I got I got burned. So you know, used to coaching was a little bit more stable, and I say stable, you were somewhere four to five years, and and now that's your year to year. you don't ever know. And so coaches will go somewhere and they'll buy a house. They'll get a thirty year mortgage on a house and and then have to sell it in a year and to move to your next place. And you can get so upside down financially. Um, because with a 30 year mortgage, you're not putting in any equity in your home. Uh, you're basically paying rent and then you then you're counting on, you know, basically selling your house for more money. Um, so, you know, we got hit. I never will forget this. And this kind of changed my my thought process and all this. When we were in Jonesboro, actually moving here, uh, we, we closed our house in March of 2008 and then the housing market crashed and so immediately lost a ton of equity in our house. Um, and then, uh, when we went to sell it, it was not a, you know, it was nice house, but it just wasn't a seller's market at that time. And that house sat empty for a year. And let me let you guys know something that house sat empty for a year. And there was no worse feeling than, I felt like I was just driving down the road, just throwing $2,000 cash out the window every month for an empty house. Um, that's very frustrating. I remember we actually sold that house and I signed the paperwork, um, at the bowl game in Birmingham, uh, we played in the BBVA Compass Bowl that year against Pittsburgh, set, uh, signing the paperwork in the lo- hotel lobby um, going before we went to practice one day, um, and we ended up getting our teeth kicked in on that one. Um, so a lot of coaches get upside down financially with those, and so for those reasons, and I joined that crew right then, is I was on team rent. I was like, we're not buying another house till we either – I become a head coach, and we're getting somewhere settled down because we just got our teeth kicked in. And so um, ironically, I had two houses at one time, so I actually still had the house in in Oxford. And so I kept that house um, until we actually sold that a a few years ago. Um, But, you know, just, you know, if I was a coach in today's world, my advice to you if you're a young coach, rent, don't buy. Because in today's market, there's no way financially, unless you just get lucky, um, to to keep yourself above water. You're going to end up losing a lot of money. So I would rent a house. I wouldn't buy it um, because you can get up and go as well. And before we get out of here today, I want to say happy anniversary to my wonderful, beautiful bride, uh, Erin. Uh, today is our 19th uh, year wedding anniversary. Um, she has put up with my shit uh, for many years. We're going on. We've been together for 24, married for 19. Uh, but she is the rock of our house. Um, she is, she keeps us all in line. Um, the good Lord knew what he was doing. I don't know if there's another woman on the planet that could deal with me like she does. Um, I love her to death. You know, we talk about soulmates all the time. I don't mean to get all gushy on here, but you know, she's definitely mine. Uh, couldn't do it without her. Um, just a, um, just an unbelievable mother, unbelievable wife. And she is the best packer and unpacker and mover in the history of mankind she and she's doing all of that this weekend that's been her birthday or anniversary and she's just rocking and rolling she just uh unbelievable but i would like to say happy anniversary to her 19 years um and it's probably it's more congratulations to her for putting up with me for the last 19 years so um, but we'll be going out and celebrating tonight and having a good time with that Last thing uh, I want to remind you guys. So uh, next week we will not have an episode Uh, going on vacation, uh, going to try and uh, try a new spot. We've always gone to Charleston. Um, So I got a lot of brother. We're going on uh, vacation with uh, the brother in laws. uh, So my wife's family would go every every summer and we've been going to Charleston every summer for I don't since forever. Right. And so I have to admit, and so my brother-in-law who who listens every single week and, and, and gives me uh, great advice every week, I did not know that we had changed locations until like last Monday. So we're actually going to Pawleys Island, South Carolina. I love the South Carolina coast, so I'll give you guys a review of it when we get back. Uh, never been, but I guess they have. But I did not know we were changing locations until last week. Um, yeah, I did not. So my wife, she's going to tell me that she told me she did not. Um, until I was getting ready to book, book the plane tickets, and and she told me that not to fly into Charleston. So, Polly's Island, South Carolina. My man, Luke Pilcher at uh, Whistle, told me his brother lives there and was awesome. He's laid back. I'm a laid back kind of guy on vacation, so excited to see that. But just to remind everybody, we will not have an episode next week. We'll come back to you the week after that, get a little break. I uh, want you guys to get a little break. Have a great, great summer because we're getting ready to crank this up for a great football season. Uh, I'd like to remind everybody to make sure you subscribe, hit the like buttons, uh, give us a three-star review because you know we love it. And until next time, take care.